Hello, I'm James Batchelor. I'm Dan Pearson. And you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. We're joined this week by Thomas Bedeau of ICO Partners. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and uh, we are here to talk about crowdfunding. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of been an interesting uh, last few months for crowdfunding. And Thomas, you keep a very close track on what's been happening. Um, you know, you, you've helped us out in the past with a lot of coverage on on crowdfunding and you've always got a good finger on the pulse. So, I mean, let's start off with um, talking a little bit about the general state of the union for, for crowdfunding. We've still got a few big uh, big beasts out there. Um, we've had sort of new players in terms of um, FIG and we've, we've seen a lot of kind of unrest in the markets and peaks and troughs, uh, probably a few more troughs recently. Um, so, I mean, how do, you, how do you feel like the land lies at the moment in terms of the, the, the three main players who are out there? Well, um, certainly for Kickstarter, um, you know, 2012 was the big year for them where it came on the map with Double Fine Adventure, it got crazy, 2013 was on, you know, on the back of that, did very well. And I would say the past three years, it's kind of like, it's not, it's not revolutionary anymore, it's more stable, it's more uh, established. So on the one hand, you also have a bit of fatigue, and you also have a project coming out. Some people are disappointed, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. It's still working for a fair number of people. Um, if you look at the pure number of projects that get funded, it's actually relatively stable year on year. It's like there's a, a project every day in terms of video games that are crowdfunded on, on, on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. The thing is that... Um, it's very dependent on also big success to stay in people's mind. And I think there's a number of things that happen in the game industry that make it, um, it's difficult to crowdfund a project. It's a, it's a, it's a project in itself. It's like, it's like a launch for your game yep. and it's a lot of work. Um, the bar has risen in terms of the minimum quality, minimum number of things people want to see about a game before they trust you with their money. Um, and certainly for some projects who were interested in crowdfunding, it's so much work and it happens later in the production of a game mm-hmm. so that now they, they, they just skip it, you know, they, they go to early access, things like that. And that, that's true for all crowdfunding. I'm talking crowd Kickstarter because this is where the, the volume is, the numbers are. Uh, it's interesting. Um, you mentioned FIG and FIG is doing well, I think. Uh, the, the model they have is unconventional mixing crowdfunding with rewards, with crowdfunding for equity in the project. Um, they do seem to have found an audience uh, and I don't think they will replace Kickstarter because of the scale of Kickstarter, the brand recognition, the formula they have, but they certainly can carve out their own space. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. And then, you know, you have like Indiegogo is doing uh, I would say, <laughs> to be honest, on, on, on games. Non-commercial. Uh, yeah. I think Gambitious, um, they, they shared some numbers recently and they, they were doing okay also, like but like pure purely on the um, uh, project finance uh, formula. So I think it's uh, it's the stage of maturity. It's yeah. no longer crazy and exotic. It's a bit more uh, boring, be careful. And once in a while you have you know a couple of wild projects that still you know, do very well. And, and, and there's some project whose very nature is very favorable for crowdfunding and they, they, they still thrive in that environment. Yeah. 
I've certainly noticed that I, I still get plenty of emails of, hey, I've got a Kickstarter, please cover me, I need the exposure. Yeah. And so it, it seems to be the way a lot of developers, and certainly a lot of new developers, are still looking to get their, their games funded that way rather than seeking other forms of investment. Yeah, um, and do you remember you know, the days when having that in a subject line meant, oh my God, it's an amazing email, I'm going to open that, I'm going to cover that. Yeah. And then the early days, it was like, wow, it's another Kickstarter thing, this is, everyone loves this, I'm definitely, and then after about a month, it's like, oh It rapidly reached the point where if I, if I see the words Kickstarter in an email, it's not that I delete it immediately, it's that you need to have something bloody interesting there to, to not make me delete your email. Yeah. Unless it's just, you know, com- completed click Kickstarter, that does make a difference. Yeah, really. exactly. The amount of developers I've actually I've, I've said to, like, you know, great, good, best of luck with the Kickstarter, come back to me when you have, have got it funded, because yep. then we can talk about it potentially, you know, like where, what's next for you, well, you know, getting this project project going. Yeah. In terms of, like, Kickstarter essentially got into crowdfunding in general, to some developers got to the point of, I have an idea. This is what the idea is. Yeah. It's like, yeah, once that idea actually is manifesting as a as a project, as a game, that's when people, you know, the press and the industry at large will be more interested. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's it, it feels like the what people have been using Kickstarter for has changed. And correct me if you think I'm, I'm wrong here, Thomas, but, you know, it's it's now very much overtly a marketing tool, right? You know, it, there's, and I think we, we, we saw that change a little bit, perhaps earlier on, perhaps not so much recently, you know, where it changed from being, we've got this fully formed idea, we've probably started working on it, we've worked out how much it's probably gonna cost, let's kind of go to the, to the market with it, to, to, as James says. We've got a kind of fun idea. Um, we want to throw it out there, sort of use it as bait to maybe track some other more traditional investors, get a proof of concept, get a proof of uh, you know market validity, and then take that to, to somebody else to get the meat of the funding. Yeah, um, I think there's a there's a number of reasons for that, um, and the thing is that crowdfunding, even at the beginning, was never a really good tool for discovery. Um, yes, there were like a bit more like media coverage because it was exciting, it was new, um, but that was over fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, it's all about what kind of audience do you have? It's an audience multiplier. It's a, it's a, a good way to use that, that an existing audience as a springboard. But you need something to start with, yeah. um, and so it's very. You need. I think one of the rule now I have when I work with people who do crowdfunding campaign is that you need to have. You need to be able to show the game. Mm-hmm. If you don't show the game, you you, you will go nowhere. Um, but on top of that, you also need to have an existing audience because if you don't have an existing audience, um, you also will go nowhere. The the kind of like momentum you need to build with uh, the beginning of a campaign to you know make it work, uh, it's, it's just that much harder. Um, so it's a mix of a, it's not pure marketing, because if you have nothing, it's a very bad marketing exercise, you know? You, you spend the money and you put the energy and, and, and nothing happens. Uh, but if you do have an audience, if you have uh, something that will work from a nostalgia point of view, if you have an existing community forum, an existing brand, um, an existing uh, intellectual property you have, or um, you, I don't know. I'm. I like super hot. I love super hot, and I think super hot was super successful because they had um, a prototype people had their hands on, and, yep. and mm. they, they were able to leverage that. Yep. So you need you need something and a to great kind of back of the envelope yeah. concept as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strong concept. Yeah, they're not not run of the mill um, shooter um, that that anyone wants to build or anything, and that that's some strong narrative. Um, 
the, the story around what this dead game is very strong and yeah. the pitch is, is, is really really beautiful so um, but it is a marketing exercise but it's a it's a it's a perfect tool to make money because it's still something that people do with uh, the the crowdfunding company they still raise money and still uh, uh, an essential component in many ways uh, but it's everything at the same time it's community building growing your community um, making it more viral it's marketing um, it's building a story around your team um, also like sometimes it's good to fail a Kickstarter mm -hmm. because in many ways it's like launching a game it has the same components that you need for a launch from a, a public publishing point of view and if you fail your crowdfunding campaign maybe you don't have what it takes to launch the game yeah. um, and it opens many doors I mean every time you talk to someone who, who did a, a crowdfunding campaign they got in touch with so many people they got publishers coming to them even when you, even when they fail even if it's not funded they, they get some visibility but if, if they get funded it's even better for them because then people come to them and say hey do you want to double that do you want to triple that do you want to help me um, do all those t-shirts and boxes you never done before and we can handle for <laughs> you and, and it's complicated so yeah, it is opening many doors um, it's yeah it's 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 a it's a complex exercise but it's, it's also I think Something that people underestimate is the, it, it comes with a very high price in terms of what needs to be put together. And, yeah. and that, that's the uh, this downside of uh, that miracle, miracle is kind of like marketing as a science that you don't pay for, quote unquote, uh, but people pay you for. Um, the, the, the reality is that it's very, very hard. It's yeah. very hard, it's still, um, I think like 20, 25% of the projects get funded. You know, yeah. it's like one in five, one in five. And it's a little bit better these days because there's, people realize it's hard, so they have like fewer people going to the platform train to get funded. Yeah. But it's still one in five, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, we're still seeing, oh, we're still seeing, seeing some big failures and, you know, you know you've been yeah. following uh, a, a couple of examples recently. Yeah, and, you know, we, most recently we've had um, Apocalypse Now, um, which obviously was, the, I mean, the idea has been backed by Francis Ford, Coppola, the uh, director of the film, and his production company kind of want to help back it. But the actual developers um, turned to crowdfunding to, to raise the money. Goal of 900,000 within a month, because that's the standard crowdfunding goal. Yeah. By the end of the month, they had not quite managed 200,000. They'd barely done 20% of their goal. Now, their answer was, right, well, if we're not going to manage the campaign, we'll cancel the campaign and we'll go to direct um, donations. So crowdfunding through their own website. They then raised the optimistic. target. Yeah, <laughs> optimistic. They then raised the target slightly from nine hundred thousand dollars to five million dollars, or five point four million dollars, I believe. Yeah. Like, and then they've extended the like the deadline. You know, they, they they reckon that they can raise that by May twenty eighteen. Now that's utterly mad, personally. Like, and, and, and you know, the amount of people that look at it and think, well, you know, hell, if you've got the director on board, why the hell is he not funding the game? Yeah. <laughs> um, or talking to one of the many billionaires he must know in Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're not telling me there's no money left in Hollywood. You know, um, it's, it's an odd one because it feels like it has the formula right. Yeah, you know, and it's got brilliant nostalgia. It's got big names attached, and they'd the, already done some work. It was a fairly modest 
amount that they were aiming for and, and the, the project like it's not a simple pro- it's quite an ambitious project yeah. so obviously yeah. it needs the money but like the it's idea of like this, an interesting game yeah like the, a Fallout style game set in the world of Apocalypse Now mm. I'm not even that much of a fan of the film but I'd play that yeah. I, that, that sounds like an interesting <laughs> an interesting world to explore yeah. I think yeah, when I've, I've read a bit of the pitch and they were you know they said oh it's not going to be around the, the main character from the film you know but it's going to have a lot of them in it it's going to have mm. you know um, Commander Kirsk or whatever his name was and you know it's going to they said oh there'll, there'll be lots of drug use and machine guns I was like no you are sold you know yeah. done I mean I didn't I didn't it, back it I have to admit it, it, was so, it was so odd when they announced it and they announced it was going to be a Kickstarter because it's the sort of thing that you think a publisher would come out and say hey we've got the Apocalypse Now license and this is what we're going to make mm. And yet, no, it's this 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 independent studio trying to do it go it alone with a, a not unsizable license, yeah. and yet and yet that still failed. Going back to um, last year as well, there was um, John Romero um, kind of came out of retirement with that hilarious Star Wars parody video that I don't know if you guys caught, but that was <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. But um, but yeah, you know, doing Black Room and Black Room was uh, it was going to be a game built in the style of Doom and Quake, and again that project sounded quite. You know, ambitious and, and and fun and nostalgic. You know, it, it's um, again. I'm not a massive fan of Doom or Quake either. But like, but this sounded interesting in that the idea is that it's kind of a virtual reality in the game. It's a virtual reality room yep. that means that they can they can set a shooter within any setting within any context, and and eventually, I think I think the plan was eventually like uh, modders would be able to build their own levels and their own worlds. It sounded like a platform for some really good retro style shooters. Yeah didn't gain the traction they wanted, but instead, like, rather than saying, yeah, it's failed, he, he decided to kind of pull it, and he said, right, what we're gonna do is we're gonna build a demo to show you guys what it is, yeah. to show you guys how it works so you can get your hands on it, and then you can decide whether or not it's worth funding. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean that's, that's, that's basically, I think the, that's the right reaction, because, mm. um, and, and that's not coming out of nowhere, I think people were saying this, they say, it looks fantastic, on paper, the word you describe you used yeah. to describe it is makes it really, really exciting. But this is my hard-earned money. If you mm. want it, mm. you need to show me more. And I think that's that shift we were talking about before. From um, you, someone specifically, someone like Romero, someone who has a n- name, a brand recognition, mm. um, uh, someone in the street with no name or anything, and that would not be able to do that even. A, the heyday of the um, uh, of, of crowdfunding, <clears throat> but suddenly now it's like even if you are famous, uh, even if you have a strong brand, you you need to show something, mm-hmm. and that shift is going from you could do like in pre-production, you know, or you know, building the game, and you can't show much, but you you, you can fund it. To now you need to be able to show the game, and there are very, I don't think there's been real exceptions to that change in the past, say, eighteen months. Um, I think it's kind of like post Shenmue 3 world mm-hmm. in many yeah. ways. And and I think if you are Shenmue 3 and you show your game, your campaign, you announce it on the stage at E3, yes, you will still succeed because it's mad. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's... But then again, the campaign video they had alongside that. Horrible. This is, <laughs> yeah. this campaign is atrocious. Yeah, the, it's knocked it up on like a net your thing. Yeah. It, looked, it yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah, people but, loved it. Yeah, well, I think well, they, 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 they could have put Shenmue 3, nothing else, yeah. and then, you know, different tiers for, with random amounts of money, people would have would have backed it, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. that crazy. 
Uh, yeah, actually, I, I would imagine they would have raised more money without the video because the video would look so bad, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I was quite interested. I, I, and that's somebody who never even played Shenmue. You know, I, I had like a, a demo of it on a, on a PlayStation disc once and I put like, you know, played 20 minutes of a bit where you're wandering around and you could collect three capsule toys. I was like, oh, right. And even that, I, I know it's such legendary status that I was like, actually, that would be super interesting. And then I watched the video, I was like, oh, no, actually, I have no interest in that at all. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting those two approaches to that kind of uh, almost kind of cataclysmic failure to raise funds, and it's <laughs> apocalyptic. It's, an, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's an embarrassing thing, right, to do, go publicly and do that. And I th I don't think you know John would would mind me saying that he is not a man who is famed for his humility. He's he, he openly jokes about you know being quite an ego driven guy. Um, and you know it's quite surprising to to, to see that campaign uh, raise as little as it did. So, but he he made the right uh, response to Absolutely. it. Absolutely, I think I think that's the right take on it. It's like you know you realize you're not, you you realize very quickly if your campaign's going to succeed. There's a couple of like metrics that are well known that tell you very very quickly mm -hmm. day two will I make it or not. And so I think. What people need to realize is that I I've seen I haven't seen a lot of like stigma on failure for crowdfunding. It's not like you are a failure if you fail your crowdfunding campaign. It's uh, it's actually quite like your backers are going to be super supportive because they're emotionally invested. They will they wanted you to succeed and 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 when you fail they fail as well. So this is kind of like a, a nice collective traumatic experience basically that 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 strengthens the bond. To a certain extent, and 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 people have got back to crowdfunding after a failure and make it work. Um, and I mean, maybe it's a bad example, but the, the cooler scooter that that cooler you bring into the beach with a mixer and thing and that that raised that was the biggest Kickstarter project for like uh, for a year or something with twenty million dollars. Mm -hmm. That was the second campaign. The first one failed. You know. I, it's not. It's a pretty bad example because they they have massive prime delivery. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a bad story. It's like, but but, it, but 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 from a campaign point of view, you can you can yeah. succeed after a failure. It's it's yeah. fine and it's something you can. I think it's okay to accept that. Well, you went to crowdfunding to prove it would work. You've just proven it's not working. It's not necessarily the game. It's also what you've showed, the timing, um, uh, the, your, your capacity to reach the audience as well, because there's a it's massive challenge nowadays to, to, to go through the noise and get people to hear about your project. So sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, okay, didn't work out, fold it back, think about it, why didn't it work, and, and, and then relaunch or do something of a different nature. The I think the, the Romero campaign, the one big problem was that that lack of showing the game. For me, the Apocalypse Now campaign was way more flowed and had way more, way many more issues in the way it was structured. And it reeks of people who love the idea of crowdfunding, but don't understand it. Mm. They, don't, I don't, they didn't do their homework. For me, it's really, really obvious that they didn't go through proper uh, look at how crowdfunding campaigns that were successful how they build it together, and it could be, um, could be naivete, could be hubris, because oh, we have apocalypse now; it's going to be easy because we are so much bigger than other things. Um, I, I don't know why. Interesting but stuff with it as well. I think because it had been under the development before previously, another developer, I think, was it like a, a, a Czech indie or something, had been working on it, and they'd had some all that they produced had been some some concept art, and I think some of that concept art was 
pushed in alongside the campaign so I think people were a bit like is this the game they were making is this a new one and they didn't really answer some yeah of the message questions. was not very tight and you need a very tight message um, you need something that's very clear they did their video was all talking heads very respectable talented people talking yeah. but talking heads and then I think three days or four days in the campaign they say hey here's some gameplay footage mm. it was too late people had lost interest people had got excited went in went out and not not given money in the on the on the way back, mm-hmm. uh, and there's lots of small things like that that, that are really um, surprising for a company of that size, that ambition. You were talking about how much money they want to raise, and mm-hmm. the thing is that that's the first thing is like day one you go there, they ask for nine hundred thousand dollars, but they had stretch goals up to five million mm-hmm. from the very beginning, and that's. Um, in a way, it's very honest, I guess, but but it's it's also uh, uh, very risky because you tell people we want five million, and now we know they want five million. But yeah. that, that second campaign, um, but I'm 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 very convinced they will massively fail with that system where they want to do their own platform. The thing is that it, it almost says, well, we failed because of its Kickstarter. Hmm. So it's kind of like shifting the blame. And it's interesting because I, I follow these comments very closely and very interested in, I was looking at, at people's comments on the announcement they were doing this, and the comments were all like, I, I kid you not, like half the comments were, good luck, <laughs> but we are not going to back you there. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's the nature of them. Some of them were a bit more brutal in the way. It's like, you, you went from, you're a bit dodgy, but I don't like you, to you look scammy, I will not touch you with your poll. I buy the game when it's out. Yeah. And it's very, it's like, a lot of the messages were of that nature, and it's it's not understanding what 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 Kickstarter and this platform do for uh, the project. It's also uh, a form of credibility, form of like reassurance. Even if you know the protection there is kind of like eh, there's there's a. I'm, so, I'm just confused because James just popped up the so website. I just brought up their website because I was intrigued to see like how much they've actually raised. They've raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars now. No, they've raised so, they've raised a thousand dollar. And they have added 250,000 because if you look at the number of pledges, they have like 600 pledges for 250,000. It looks like they're they're putting some other source of money in there. That's a pretty high percentage of run rate per backer otherwise, right? So quick maths, 250,677, that's less than $300 each, right? That's... Not more than that. It's it's too much anyway. So it, it it looks like you know something that you be, you need to be careful because people are going to do the math. People are going to to check that and and it yeah three hundred seventy thousand dollars per dollars. So the thing is that you will under scrutiny when you do these kind of things way more than when you announce your game. People are, are people are looking for. Um, uh, the chink in the armor, and you know, like when Fig released, they had a couple of features missing on the platform. Like you couldn't see the detail of how much of that money is Fig investment compared mm-hmm. to like normal rewards. And there was like a lot of people like, well, you look scammy, you look dodgy. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of that money is not from real backers. You know, show us the the thing. And and I think you know, within a week, they added the features and and that yeah. that more details. So you know, oh, you're cl- clearly going to look after your big backers first. Which I'd imagine you know they yep. might do, but that's 
kind of the, the economy of scale, right? Yeah. You know, you take more risk, you get looked after more quickly, and if, if things work out. So. Yeah. So for me, like that that page that they had, where they already have more money than on a Kickstarter, but probably like I don't know, like a third of the yeah. backers they had initially, it looks well, really, really I think dodgy. Was, I think it was the day that they they had announced they were opening up the um, the website to do um, direct down, uh, direct donations. I think I checked it when I was writing up the story, and they had already raised the amount of money raised on Kickstarter. It's like you're not telling me 100% of backers <laughs> well, had had heard this before yeah. most of the media, That's and then gone and transferred. Yeah. To be fair, they had they had been very very aggressive about transferring their backers. They yeah. made like well, you know, you'd have to be, wouldn't you? Like, yeah. you, you want what little money you have raised, you want to go to retain that, right? Yeah. So, but there's all the interesting case studies of people shifting from platform. Um, uh, there is a consortium. The tower went from uh, Kickstarter to Fig. That's interesting case mm. study because you know it's it's two very very different model, and they've raised more money on Fig. But if you look at you know the rewards money, they didn't manage to transfer everything over there. Actually, raised less money uh, on on Fig through rewards than on Kickstarter. Mm. Uh, whereas they had like an extra month, and they had all those previous backers they could reach into. So platform based in there. Um, another campaign I'm, I'm, I often mention is Eros Song, which went from Kickstarter to Indiegogo. Again, you feel like they're they shifting from a, 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 a large platform to a smaller one. It sounds like they think that was the problem and not what they were saying. Um, and all again, they, even if they had more time, existing backers, they raised less money, you know? Mm. So and there were the problem with that campaign. But, uh, the, 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 the core of that is there. So, yeah, Apocalypse now trying to sell that story to us, I think, is a stall tale. I think it's not. <laughs> and they're still a long way away from 5 million, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then oh, they're 450 plus days from their goal, so it's yeah, okay. That's, yeah. yeah, but that's not a long time <laughs> in Hollywood if you're trying to raise that kind of money, I guess. But Well, let's talk about someone who has done it well then. You know, we we, we sort of chatting a little bit before we started recording, and, and we both mentioned um, Fail Better, who. Um, oh, you know, one of my favourite uh, UK developers. I think they're they're a great team, and I really like like their work. Um, absolutely adore sort of Sunless Seas. So really impressed to see what they've done with Sunless Skies. Now, I mean, that's almost completely the other end of the scale, right? You know, they are a small uh, indie team. They don't have a big figurehead name. They've got an IP which is popular and has a loyal audience, you know, has run on from Fallen, or Fallen London and, and Sunless uh, Seas. But it's not exactly a massive IP, is it? No. Certainly yeah, not so. Apocalypse Now. No. no. You know, you, you, your mum hasn't heard of it. I'd be willing <laughs> to put money on. Um, but they have, you know, they've done great guns. They've, they've, they've beat their, their targets very quickly. They've got into their stretch goals. They've had a decent kind of rate of... Uh, um, you know, donation per backer. Um, so, I mean, what have, what have they done right? Why is why is their game you know <coughs> so well? I think the first campaign was good, mm. and that's a big thing. You know, they've they've they have a track record. Yeah. You know, and and that 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 takes you quite far already. And then I think they didn't rush it. They didn't do like these campaigns back to back. You know, they went into Sunless Sea, released the game, did Untersea, mm-hmm. released that. When take it to a certain stage and then said, now we're going to do Sunless Skies. Yeah. Um, then they also did something I think I really like and I want to see more and more is they didn't do like a surprise, here's Apocalypse Now, you never heard of it, it's awesome. They actually preceded and said, hey, we want to do another Kickstarter. It's coming, it's in a month, it's going to be about this and that. And so kind of like line up their backers, their community, get people, ask questions. Um, they open up their page pre- uh, to their backers 
early so they could make comments before they could back and say, well, why is there no uh, tier at that price? Because I, that's kind of the amount of money I usually put and so they added something in there. So I think they just um, humble and, and, and respect the process and, 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 and work on it. And um, why well, tell people as well on crowdfunding? It's not about the number of likes you have, it's the number of love. You know, if you're on yeah. Facebook, if you look at your post, it's, you'd rather have a little heart than a little thumbs up. <laughs> um, and it's better to have like, you know, few people who adore you than a big crowd who've heard of you. Yeah. So I think that's, 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 that's what it is. It's, uh, it's this kind of story. And it's, uh, it's nice to see that, I think they broke the total amount they raised on, uh, on Sunless Sea in the first day. So yeah. they so they beat their own campaign day one. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and I think it's the as you know, crowdfunding is maturing. Uh, it's interesting to see those small studios with um, limited resources, but they have their own resources, kind of like you know, manage to build something with a community where where people are happy. I think uh, James, you mentioned that before when we were talking before the show about how they're very transparent about their development process. Mm. And I, I think that's also part of why people kind of like trust them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's, uh, it's nice to see it kind of, you know, when, when crowdfunding first became a big thing, even though it was popularized by some big names, it did seem like a new dawn of, of the ways of small companies making interesting projects and, yeah. and, you know, being able to reach a core audience of people who'd really love what they were doing, as you say, you know, maybe it was, 10,000 people rather than 10 million, but it was 10,000 people who absolutely wanted to see that game made. So it's nice to see some of those projects have survived that kind of uh, high tide mark, I guess, of, of, of massive, high high volume, high budget projects. Um, we can't talk about crowdfunding without mentioning um, Star Citizen at least once. James, you checked the current total just before we started. I did. 143 million yeah. and counting from 1.7 <laughs> million backers. Is there no end to the amount of money that and game will raise? Can you play it yet? No. No, you can't. No, you can. No. I think you were saying that you can You can see some menus and you can look around a You can, you can have so. a look around a lovely looking um, space station. Yeah, and they've released a couple of videos which look, frankly, pretty bloody incredible. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, but yeah, still, and I, How I can't long even remember it's development. Now? Yeah, like three like years. I easily would say. that, like which was it? Like end of two thousand twelve, they did the campaign. Good God, I mean that's Something crazy. If that was yeah, if that was a triple A console game that had been funded traditionally, they would be getting ripped to pieces by the media. By their investors and by their potential players right now, you know, everyone would be fed up to the back teeth of them. It's, I mean, they've had their ups and downs. So I, think I think it's difficult though, like, because you, you, you're comparing it to, to a AAA console project. Like, if, <coughs> if this was a AAA console product, it would have been behind closed doors for at least three, four years, mm -hmm. like, you know, two, three, four years. Before and then announced with it a year or two left to go. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like this is the issue with with crowdfunding, and this is this is a danger is that you have to be open from before the word go yeah. about absolutely everything about how much progress you're making. Whereas, okay, it, you know, for example, had the Last Guardian had to be open about development and progress on development from the word go. Mm. Had The Last Guardian been a crowdfunded project way back in like 2009 and people had to wait 10 years, there would be absolute uproar. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of it, it's kind of not fair. Like crowdfunding projects have a kind of an accelerated timeline in terms of how quickly they need to deliver on what they've 
what they've promised, even if what they're promised is the scale of or the, the, the scope of a AAA game, yeah. they need to deliver a lot quicker and a lot and a lot more public facing. I think you are. I think that's right. I think that's a fair assessment. Still, my issue with uh, Star Citizen is not that it's taking long; is that it's taking way longer than what they said they would take. Yeah, I think there's something in the promise and ex- managing expectations. I think expectations there are off the mark in terms of and the, the expectation that they set. You know, it's mm. kind of a uh, and it's and it's tricky. You know, and I, I and, and to be fair to them as well, again, <clears throat> they're not shy about giving people their money back. They want it. Yeah, yeah. So okay. um, and that, that's a crucial thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, they've they've got plenty of it, but you know, they've been. They must have a team of, uh, I mean, well into the hundreds, I think, working on that game. Easily, I mean, Christ, I think they've got about 30 or 40 people just working on the single player oh. game up, up north yeah. in the UK. Yeah. And it's, it's like four, four offices now, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. They have offices in Frankfurt, offices in uh, Austin, UK, yeah. West Coast. I mean, that's just, <laughs> just the nature of having multiple offices, you know, they all edit grades, they, mm. uh, they, have, they have a big team, yeah. yeah. Well, let's hope it's good if it if and when it does come out. <laughs> I mean, just talking quickly about that, um, you know, the idea that things change change fast during the process of the campaign. You know, a game I know is close to you, your heart, James, with ukulele. Yeah, they had an issue where one of the main promises of the campaign was that it would come out on the Wii U. Yeah, by the time it was ready, or you know, it was looking like it was going to be ready. That didn't seem like such a sensible prospect anymore, and they had to remove that from the campaign, which. They actually dealt with it really well, and yeah, yeah. absolutely. They, they, they've been brilliant with that, and they uh, kind of announced it. I, th- I believe they announced it to their community first before it actually went out to the press. Yep. That, that you know, by the way, we're really sorry. We've had to. We've tried absolutely everything we can. We cannot get the Wii U version out, um, and then lo and behold, a, a Switch version was kind of confirmed. Which, which I mean, if that game didn't come out on a sense. Nintendo platform, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. what is it even for? You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, I'm still, I was, I was still, I was, still, I, I was gutted. Like I, I, I had intended to get the Wii U version. Well, it sold, it, it sold it, Nintendo at least one more Switch then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, no, they they, they handle that very well. Um, I think they've been transparent. I think it's all you can you can do in these cases. I mean, like. Star Citizen setting expectations. The expectations like four or five years ago were not the ones that that, no. that they have now. Of course, of course, I think that's the new paradigm when you go into open development that goes with crowdfunding. Not all, not all, not only, but also with that is that um, you need to educate your audience that the target is moving. You know, there's lots of projects that had to run through these things where, like. On paper, the idea was awesome for some reward. I'm thinking about Armelo, which is um, one of my favorite games. It's really good, but they, they made some process, promises for uh, exclusive content. And when faced with the reality of making content exclusive, people kind of like, well, it's competitive. You know, there's the, you want you want the game to be uh, something where people can make tournaments and things like that. You can't make content exclusive, even if it's the same power level, the meta changes and everything. And like so that to go back on that, and that's difficult. I think. Every campaign has to face with those revised expectations, changing of plans, revised things. And that's where you see are they good communicators or not. Yeah. And and this is where you know devils into detail and how you execute that. The crucial thing as well is like is not just like um, 
it, not just delivering, uh, letting people know about the changing goalposts and keeping it transparent, but even like, like delivering on the promises as close to possible despite the fact that the goalposts move. The example I'm thinking of, and the one one that I thought handled it really, really well, was um, Chris uh, on the you know, Chris on the team um, interviewed the guys behind Shovel Knight, mm-hmm. and Shovel Knight promised. DLC. Yep. Except by the time they got to the, the the end of the game and they'd finished the game, they'd put so much content into the game, they'd pretty much put everything they could possibly think of into the game. So there was nothing left for DLC. Mm. But because they'd promised DLC, they then d- decided, right, what we'll do is we'll develop kind of extra new content. And what they developed was essentially a sequel or at least a kind of an expansion game. Yeah. But because they promised it as DLC, they then released it free to the backers as DLC. Yeah. Now, they could have easily just said, well, actually, all the DLC's in the game. Yeah. We've got your money, there's nothing you we, can do about it. We've got your money, here you go. Here, buy a sequel. But they didn't. They essentially made this game for free, yeah. in, a, in a way. Yeah. And and that went down really well. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've, we, we all know that there, there are pitfalls in over-promising and uh, stretch goals are very dangerous things and over-committing that way can get people mm. a lot of problems. You know, we, I remember some of the earliest projects, and you sort of touched on this earlier, Thomas, where, you know, one of the stretch goals would be, oh, we're going to send a T-shirt, you know, or we'll, send a, we'll send a poster, and it's like, oh, it's really quite expensive to post <laughs> yeah. Yeah. posters and T-shirts all over the world, and you need a team of people putting them in, yeah. in uh, boxes, and that is a huge pain. And there are a couple of campaigns that had to fold because... They just couldn't afford to do that, and they hadn't worked out those logistics. So, I mean, you really have to plan and kind of, uh, you know, plan out the economy of everything before you promise it. Right? Yeah, it's interesting. This 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 need for projecting yourself into these things. Uh, in one of those early campaigns was uh, not that they delivered, but uh, Banner Saga mm-hmm. had T-shirts, and they were right on the back end of the Belfine Adventure. So they were they went. I think they went on on Kickstarter with with very little expectation. It's kind of really blow up to their face in a good way. Um, but they were showing those pictures of their private garage full with uh, tubes so they could ship the t-shirts and it was like it was they had to park their car outside I'm talking you know <laughs> Americans garage you know not you know not small ones you know like, like, like house basically like yeah. very 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 big and you'll realize like oh my god you know how much you know space does it take to ship you know X amount of t-shirts or posters and it looks good on paper and it's it's true it's uh Something that uh, can easily, easily go out of control. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you, if you know, if you add ten ten dollars to the stretch goal for a t-shirt, and then the process costs you fifteen dollars for everyone you send it out, you are yeah. rapidly out of business. Yeah. yeah. And some people also do the, the math in the wrong way. They like, we'll do the t-shirt first, and 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 focus on the game later once we have done that, and then. Well, we've done T-shirts, but no yeah. games. Yeah. Uh, uh, is that but wrong? everyone's got a T-shirt yeah, right. for a game that's never going to come out now, which might be worth something as a collector's item in the future. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll buy them back. Cool. All right. Okay. And um, Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. Um, that, that rather nicely uh, covers crowdfunding. Hopefully, we'll have you back for kind of an update at, at, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in the meantime, uh, our next few episodes are going to be recorded at GDC. Yes, they are. Um, yeah, we've got a couple of nice episodes coming up. We're going to be talking to uh, Raf Costa um, and Justin Marr, who's uh, Subset Games. Um, and then we've got another episode where we will be talking to Chris Avalone and Jason Della Rocca, um, which promises to be slightly more alcoholic. Um, <laughs> but they should, uh, yeah, they should be a, a lot of fun. Looking forward to those. Should be interesting. So keep an ear out for those in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. 
late March, early April, we're actually uh, meeting up with Mars Jacobson, mm-hmm. um, who obviously is the uh, the chap behind football, ma- football Manager. Yeah, and for two of us who know nothing about football and have very little interest in it, it's going to be somewhat That's an education. That's going to be a really interesting episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get him to explain the offside rule. I, I, I understand the offside rule, I just don't understand why it's a rule. <laughs> um, okay, in the meantime, you can find all your Games Entry news, analysis and insight, obviously, at gamesindustry.biz. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.